Alright, so hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be having a quick look at Marshawn Lynch's retirement and where he stands in uh, the grand scheme of things. The new rules around female executives, we're going to look at the awards that came out this week, and we're also going to look at the Hall of Fame stuff. And then, I think there was some kind of football game last night. The, the, the Pro Bowl? Uh, no, no, it wasn't as good as the Pro Bowl. Oh. You fucking told you, Harry! <laughs> <laughs> Right, there you go. So we've got uh, Connor here, and we've got Harry. Hey. We've got Fitz in person. Hello. And we've also got Sean up from Cork this time. Hello. Sean, you might remember from occasional bits of the Wembley podcast that were vaguely incoherent, but uh, <laughs> pro-pats, I think. Uh, so yeah, how are we all get on, lads? We're just uh, we're just sitting around the, the kitchen in my house at the moment. We all watched the Super Bowl in here last night. Classic Super Bowl. Yeah. One for the ages. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I'm the only one who's still on the beer, so I'm disappointed in you, lads. I'm really yeah. disappointed. It did feel like ages. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, we normally would be on the beer again, but uh, we've all got bits and pieces to do this afternoon, so we'll probably go on the beer after we've got all this done. Any scandal with yourselves, boys, before we kick off? No, you're all dry shots. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Connor, you, knew exact, you know exactly what we were doing last night. We were here watching the Super Bowl. That's true, that's true. Uh, so the first thing we're going to look at is a couple of news items that have come up. Uh, so the first thing will probably be, I suppose we'll kick off with Fitz on this one. Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch has decided to retire at the end of this season, so two games ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's obviously retiring nearly over 9,000 yards, over 9,000, 74 touchdowns. Uh <laughs> Like, good chap. Uh, do you want to give us a bit of background on him saying he's your guy after Buffalo ran him out and decided he was a thug because they're all racists? Yeah, well, obviously, Seattle picked him up after what had been a pretty up-and-down time in Buffalo. And then, even though his first season wasn't amazing, it ended with the, the beast quake, as it's known, when the Seahawks managed to beat the defending champs, New Orleans Saints. And his kind of legend has grown from there, where he's kind of been an integral part of turning the Seahawks from a kind of also-ran team into perennial Super Bowl contenders. Obviously, he has quite the reputation and uh, quite the uh, character. He was only there to get paid, after all, uh, as we found out many times last year. This is the only podcast that he will actually answer questions on. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like he announced his retirement in the most Marshawn Lynch way possible by having a picture of his cleats over an electric line, (laughs) literally hanging up his cleats. My my understanding was that just means he now sells drugs. (laughs) Does the symbology yeah. in Oakland work the same way as it does in Fibsborough? I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, everyone's basically say, like tweeting out saying he's retired. So yeah, this is 99.999% uh, done. So for Seahawks fans, he'll always be kind of a legend. But obviously his, his overall reputation within the league might be a bit more circumspect. And it's kind of a shame that his last season ended up being a pretty disappointing one with injuries effectively preventing from really ever doing uh, much this season. Yeah, again, get his kind of final hurrah style of thing. So I suppose where do we think he stands? Is this like I don't I don't think he's a guy who's going to be Hall of Fame kind of stuff. I think there'll be people who like him. He'll definitely be Ring of Honor there. But like, do we see him as one of the the greats? I can absolutely just say be Ring of Honor in Seattle because he was within the context of that franchise one of the great uh, running backs that team has had. But when you take his career as a whole, he was a very very good player, but. One of the things with the Hall of Fame is you have to consistently put it together, and he's a guy who sort of put it together at the end of his career. The other mark against him for that kind of thing is his uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever the his, his difficulties with the media, his salty demeanor. I, I have a huge amount of sympathy for. I thought he was hilarious, and I thought he you know was called up on a lot of stuff that a lot of should we say older, whiter players and coaches would get away with, and his his recalcitrance to deal with people in a, in a, in a way. But the problem is that ultimately 
the a lot of the Hall of Fame voting does come down to the media, so he hasn't done himself any favours there. But regardless, I don't even see him getting to the stage of nomination just because, for all of his talent, the bar for that, particularly for running backs, is very, very high. But uh, in Seattle, he will certainly be remembered as a guy who helped transform that franchise. It's kind of funny when you look back, there's uh, like kind of two different halves of his career as well, we're saying, with the media, because there's, there's a phenomenal, if you haven't seen it, go online and look at it, video of him in Buffalo, showing how he enjoys life around Buffalo as a rookie, and it's just like him going to Applebee's, and like, I love Applebee's, they give me like, you know, nice wings, and then he like goes bowling in the arcade, because there's fucking nothing fun to do in <laughs> Buffalo, and it's just like, yay, and then obviously after they then turned on him, ran out of time, started saying he's a, he's a thug from from Oakland and stuff, then uh, you can see why he might be a little bit reticent to, to hang out with the yeah. media types who just start going, ah, oh, he's a scum, run him out of town, uh, just because he doesn't frequent Applebee's as much anymore or something. Um, but I suppose, Sean, when you look at this, obviously he's a big piece of their offense for the last couple of years. They got good production out of Rawls before he got injured. And of course, my boy Michael looked uh, good at the back end of the season. Where do you see this uh, affecting their game plan next year? Like, Do you think they can get by what they have on the roster, or are they going to have to look at kind of bringing in bodies to replace? Well, possibly. I mean, they do have options still in their running back. There may, it may be that they turn more towards the passing game with Wilson and they, I mean, this year they did survive for a large part of the season without him. So, I mean, it is it is something to consider. Beyond that, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just in terms of the Hall of Fame thing, I do. I would disagree slightly in that I think he does have a, a his peak years were good enough for him to be within consideration. Um, the issue is the consistency thing that Harry was talking about that he that he had peaks as opposed to plateaus uh, yeah. of success. No, of course, of course. So I suppose obviously I'll give you the last word on this. Him, me, and your boy fits. Uh, how, how do you feel? Are you sad inside? Yeah, it's sad. Like, like it's sadder, you know, more that uh, it's the way it ended. Like, the overall season for him has been a disappointment. And the fact that it's going to end like this is pretty disappointing. Especially considering that, obviously, the preclude to this entire season was that final play of the Super Bowl where everyone said it should have been handed off to him and uh, the Seahawks decided to throw an interception. Well, they didn't decide to throw an interception, but they did throw an interception. <laughs> so, like, it's always disappointing when you don't get the, the perfect ending, but... There's no denying his production. There's no denying that he put together some moments that will basically go down in Seattle, like Seattle football history. Yeah, so that'll be good. Well done, Beast Mode. Hope you have a nice retirement. Uh, I suppose there's, there's also now the fun thing if he gets to go back and see if there's still going to be a team for him to support in the local area when he goes home. <laughs> uh, we'll, see, we'll see more about that over the rest of the offseason. The next thing we're going to look at is uh, they've introduced a new rule for the hiring of executives in the NFL. Similar to the Rooney rule for coaches, but it is for women instead of people of colour. Uh, now you must interview at least one woman whenever you are looking to hire an executive. Details are going to be coming out a little bit more in depth about this as they're finalised, but obviously... There's always there's always a bit of question over whether or not this is effective or not. Like there is the result that we can see if there are now you know like head coaches of color in the in the in the uh, in the NFL. Whether that's a reflection of this rule or whether it's just more society, you know, growing up a little bit than where it was 25 years ago. I'm not sure. Like there's there's always an ongoing thing of does forcing them to interview one kind of black coach or something cause more black coaches to get hired or is it just a formality that they take the box of uh, like what, what what do we what do we make of this female coaches stuff Harry or female executives right? we've already had our female coach chat yeah we um, had that last week yeah it's, you know, it's going to be difficult to evaluate it entirely until we know the full details of what it's, what it's going to entail but um, I, you know, I think it's a step in the right direction and yeah like, like you said with the Rooney rule itself it's difficult to know whether or not it just became tokenistic interviews or whatever but the end 
point we're at now is we are seeing more and more, particularly African-American, but also uh, Latino and Ron Rivera uh, coaches coaching in, in, in football, which is it's great to see. So I can definitely see it having the same sort of positive effect. And even if it doesn't, you know, immediately bring about this huge transformation, it's sort of a symbolic thing of being like, you know, the door is going to be open for female executives. They're always going to have a chance. They're not going to find themselves frozen out of the process. So that does, I think, create um, an opportunity for somebody to come along and just succeed and basically win that interview. And the thing is, if they institute this rule and you see no female executives getting hired, it's the sort of thing that will be revisited. It's not just going to be sat there as a tokenistic thing. And the same thing, if the Rooney Rule had been instituted and we were sitting here and every head coach in the NFL was white, something probably would have changed because, you know, as much as the NFL is into its tokenistic gestures in, uh, as regards a lot of things, some of them you can't really pretend are working when they're not. Yeah, no, so this no, is the no. kind of thing that I think just sort of creates a physical change insofar as opening that door, but also creates a psychological opening of being like, yeah, absolutely, you're going to have your shot here uh, as a woman trying to become an executive. And look, we see women owning teams at this point, so yeah. I don't see why anyone is going to be particularly recalcitrant about assessing those female candidates, honestly. You've dropped that word twice now today, <laughs> Harry. Did you learn it last night? It's my, it's my, it's my hangover word. Oh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, what are you saying? Um, yeah, no, I, I think it, the opportunity is the key word here, that you're giving women an opportunity to... Crisis opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and, and especially, I think, in terms when you think about the NFL as a, as a masculine thing, that I think there is an awful lot of masculinity as kind of ingrained within the culture of the NFL. So I think in terms of the step forward... It's even beyond, I guess, the the, the Rooney Rule in, in terms of coaches that it is. It is, I guess, forcing these these hiring committees to, to really think outside the the box as they would see it. Uh, and I, I I think yeah, I mean, just having them to sit down and listen to uh, a female uh, executive candidate talk about her ideas it would be so. It is it is something that eventually changes um, how they think about the process moving forward. Yeah, that's the thing. I suppose just even having more people going to interview for these roles and being considered in that means that it kind of makes it not such a weird thing to see yeah, a woman exactly. go for this role and makes it more likely that more of them will aspire to be able to go into those positions afterwards. That makes sense. Uh, yourself, Fitz, anything yeah. on this? Like, obviously, you could take a cynical interpretation due to all of the issues that have come up over the last couple of years with the NFL and, and its relationship with women. But, the, <laughs> but, you know, obviously the hope is not only do you, do you see progress at this level, but it kind of has what you call it, a kind of trickle-down effect, and that, you know, the more women who are involved in the sport and the more it moves away from being this kind of hyper-masculine area where everyone needs to be a man from the, the owner all the way down to the players, hopefully there'll be more perspectives which will call the shit out when it happens going forward. You know, there's a long-term hope there as well. Good stuff. Now, uh, next thing we're going to have a look at is a lot of the football awards came out for uh, for this year uh, we, we actually called a few of these at the halfway point uh, some of us were involved in that some of us were not involved in that so we just fly through them in order to have a chat about them see if there's stuff we want MVP Cam Newton won MVP I think this was a relatively everyone thought it was locked down in the back half of the season at the start when we did this at the halfway point we had Cam Newton is the runner-up, and we unanimously had Tom Brady. Are we happy with Cam Newton winning this award? Any question marks about it? Apart from, obviously, what we will discuss later on, his Super Bowl performance. Uh, any question about this, or any any issues we have with this? I mean, I thought Brady's first half of the season was amazing, but he definitely dropped off once in the second half once his anger and intensity, I think, dropped away, and he felt he'd made his point. And his players. <laughs> um, and I think Cam it fulfills the best player and the best team um, criteria that's mostly used in American sports when they can't really decide on who should be MVP. Um, so I think, yeah, I think he took a team to 15-1 and one that wasn't necessarily a 15-1 team. Besides, like, him and basically Russell Wilson were kind of the two star players in the back end of the season. And, like, Cam Newton in the first half of the season... 
like he was winning games, which is obviously one of the most important criterions for the MVP. Usually the most winning team gets the MVP. But more importantly, in the second half of the season, and uh, with the exception of what we'll talk about later, pretty much like lit it up all the second half of the season, both, in the, both through the air, both with his legs. He basically dominated the second half of the season with the exception of the Atlanta game, perhaps. So I think, like, yeah, based on the entire season's work, you have to give it to Cam Newton. That's true, and to be honest as well, this this kind of pivots into the next door we're going to chat as well of uh, the coach of the year has gone to Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera, the Riverboat Ron. So they've they've clearly looked at this Panthers team and taken a lot of kind of this is very as, as an aside, Cam's also won Offensive Player of the Year, which I normally thought they gave to a different player, but yeah, whatever. Not the running backs award. <laughs> maybe, maybe 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 the NFL thought it was a running back because they can't tell black people apart. <laughs> I'd say, uh, I'd say Antonio Brown is pissed. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we can't give it to that wide receiver. He's the quarterback. <laughs> but yeah, so Ron Rivera wins. Uh, this is his second victory in the Coach of the Year category. Um, obviously, like we're saying, this is a roster going into the season that most people didn't think was going to do very much at all. It then lost its main receiving weapon. Uh, like they did a very good job of scheming this up and kind of building a building a machine there. Uh, there's obviously question marks throughout it as well with the, you know, apparently threatening fancy players with baseball bats and whatnot. But, like, they they were an incredibly successful team throughout. Mm. They dominated their way all the way up to the Super Bowl. We'll talk about the Super Bowl itself later on. But, like, we, we had slightly different picks. None of us picked him at the midway point. Uh, I think I had Kubiak. Uh, Harry, you had... Belichick. Belichick. And David had Bruce Arians at the midpoint. Uh, you guys weren't here for the midpoint. Did you have people in mind that you would have thought at the halfway point would have been viable candidates that maybe well, fell off? I mean, the the thing about the first half of the season is it was dominated by the Patriots. Uh, and Belichick is, I think, in, in terms of who is the best coach in the NFL, I think Belichick is the best coach in the NFL by a considerable distance. Um, you just can't give it to him every year. Uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of what Ron Rivera did, I, the problem is, in retrospect, the Super Bowl, I think, challenges a lot of what we think of him as a coach and that they couldn't, he couldn't find the strategy around the, adjust, the, the Broncos' yeah. D. And I think that is a, an issue. But obviously, at the time of the voting, that was not something um, he did. But again, as I said, he took, he took a team that wasn't necessarily uh, on paper um, a 15-1 team and he got them there so you know you've got to give him credit um, for doing that part yeah of, of course yourself it's yeah and I think the problem at the at the halfway point is that the Panthers then had been winning but not perhaps with the same uh, verve and style less dabbing basically at that point and uh, not being able to take dabbing you know like a, after the third quarter for a lot of those games but yeah because like, like, like their major statement win in the first half of the season was against the Seahawks but other than that they've been playing pretty Trash tier types of types of teams mostly. Yeah, like it, it is a knock that's been said against them a couple of times. I still, I never buy to it entirely. With like they didn't have the world's toughest schedule, and that's true, they didn't. But it is also a thing you can only beat who's in front of you, mm-hmm. and you won fifteen of those sixteen games, and then proceeded to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. Like they beat everyone who was in front of them. It's not their fault if a lot of teams were shit. <laughs> and of course, we had that unprecedented number of undefeated teams at that point. In the oh yeah, of course, yeah. of course. First time seeing that many as well. I remember after five or six weeks, um, NFL's Twitter didn't info graphic of the undefeated teams and they forgot about the Panthers <laughs> left them off at like oh boy but yeah so we're relatively happy with that one as well um, this is one that I thought was kind of a given I think I call actually no we, we had disagreement on this one at the midway point uh, comeback player of the year Eric Berry the Chiefs player who got diagnosed with 
lymphoma at the back end of last season. Went off, got chemo, came back about six, seven months later. Two pounds heavier and ready to kick the living shit out of the NFL. Had a fantastic season from that point onwards. And obviously, it's now won Comeback Player of the Year. I obviously think it's a great story. Probably the best person to get it. We had two other people suggested uh, at the midway point. We had from Harry, we had CJ2K. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from Dave, who is no longer with us. Uh, <laughs> He's not He will be after this. For, for, he will be waiting to hear this call. For potential uh, performance based issues, uh, he selected Johnny Football at the <laughs> midpoint of the season as going to be his comeback player of the year. Because if I remember correctly, he believed. The, their other quarterback would be injured that week and it would start an exceptional half a season for Johnny Football. It certainly was exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I like Barry getting this award. I think it's the right pick and all that kind of stuff. Do, was there other people you thought should have been considered that would be kind of relevant into this discussion or are we kind of generally happy with this? I think Barry's story is, is fantastic. and I, I you, know, you, can't, you can't dispute it. He came back and he had, he had a very good year. Came back from a very difficult situation, uh, and obviously my own pick, who obviously not only come back from a career low, but also has come back from being mm. shot, got injured late on. Johnny football was yeah, I don't know what Dave was talking about <laughs> yeah. at that point. So yeah, when you when you look at it, like wh- where he's come from and what he was able to do this year and come back in the condition he came back in and play the way he did, yeah. like there nobody in the world could possibly it's, begrudge Eric Berry winning it, this award. It's that thing as well because it always makes you kind of think about these guys being like the the point one percent of the point one percent like that stuff. Where it's like you guys getting chemo uh, every fourteen days and twelve of the days in between those chemo sessions he's training all day it's while insane. like while getting chemo in one arm, getting nutrition bags into the other. It's oh, it's horrifying. And anyone else you guys would kind of look at and throw in? No, I mean I think the it's the it's a award that lends itself to narrative very well. Mm. I think I think he had the story that was yeah unchallengeable really. Yeah, there was there was there was also um, Carson Palmer as well coming back off leg injuries upon leg injuries upon leg injuries and having a good season. Uh, I think the major thing is he had a decent season before he got injured and then he started so. to drop off as well. Yeah. And it was it was yeah like like you're saying narrative wise it isn't quite as strong. But yeah, Eric Berry, well done, good stuff. Uh, I was no, I wasn't wearing it last. Night. I didn't wear my Berry jersey last night because it was white and I was cooking chili, uh, <laughs> and it seemed like a bad plan. The next one we have is we're going to fly these a little bit quicker. Defensive Player of the Year is JJ Watt. Fuck you, JJ Watt. No one likes you. Yeah, he's very good at what he does. Yep, he was not like a prop. He wasn't. He wasn't the dominant this year. He so wasn't. This was a chance to try and get someone different. Like obviously, change for the sake of change isn't necessarily a good reason, but. I still think it's a good reason, so fuck you, J.J. Watt. No. <laughs> so do, do we feel that J.J. Watt was the best? Because I don't know if I do feel that J.J. Watt was no. the best defensive player this season. I'd take Luke Keekley over J.J. Watt this yeah. season. I think Keekley definitely would. At this stage, is probably a very good shout. Uh, Von Miller yeah. as well. Von Miller had a phenomenal season pretty. as well. The thing is, like, Jay, like, I think with that Texans team, like, they came on quite strong towards the end, second half of the season, mm-hmm. and got into the playoffs, of course, and... JJ was playing really well down the stretch. Mm. So, like we've said this beforehand, like there's one thing with JJ Watt that always annoys me. Everyone kind of goes, "Look at like look at the stats he gets. He's great." JJ Watt is given free reign to move himself around the line. He never has to play in one position. Every other, even your wares and stuff, tend to play in one position and go against 
people scheme against him. JJ Watt is given the ability that when he looks at a line, he sees five men in front of him. He goes, "That guard is weak. He plays over that guard instead of playing against other people." Are, yeah. are you saying JJ Watt is a me first glory boy? Yes, I'm saying yes. exactly that. He's a me first glory boy. Stop doing fucking adverts about cutting wood and like start caring <laughs> about your team doing well and not you getting fucking prizes. I I think he's good enough that the coaches want to give him that kind of freedom you earn the that, coaches that let him take a snap in Wildcat to try and run in a touchdown in a playoff game every time that anything happens for the Texans on television even if it's special teams they cut to J.J. Watt to see what his response is on the sideline I'm fucking sick to death of J.J. Watt the, yeah, the Texans is... might need to get a quarterback yeah. <laughs> J.J. Watt <laughs> like, it's just, oh, it's just, I'm just like, the thing is, I get he's good and I don't deny that he is an excellent player I think his stats are inflated by the amount he's allowed to kind of play against weaknesses rather than just be the top of his position. Now, he is pretty much the top of his position, but it's inflated beyond that so, because of that. So is your point that the Texans are giving up team quality for allowing him to show off? Because my argument is that that's probably the Texans consider that's their way of best performing defensively is to give their this beast of a player the full range to do whatever he wants. I don't know if it is. I think I think they need to stop having such a focus on him and start look because if they're building that and they're saying he's going to move across the line to whoever he feels he fits best, they have less less of a drive to like pick a player to stay anchored in that position who plays like just a pure three technique or something and like have that person anchored there when Watt is then going to say no get out of my way I'm going to play here and of course because they're paying him a hundred million dollars he gets to do it you can't have a me first superstar in that position I like like I said I, I get he's very good he probably is close to deserving it of this this year my problem is I'm just he's getting far too much exposure and I'm getting a bit sick of him at this point that's fair <laughs> And Luke Keekley should have gotten this award. Uh, any, anyone else? Can anyone else they'd like to get this award? This is a Connor fucking hates JJ Watt podcast. I think uh, I think maybe you should give us our uh, horribly wrong predictions from the. Uh... Uh, yeah, so our defensive player of the our defensive player of the year. Uh, I went for Houston because I'm a homer. Hardery went for Talib, and you went for Norman. Uh, would you guys have had anyone else you would have gone for at midseason? Well, Bob Miller was already yeah, yeah, yeah. and Ware obviously would be in there mm. as well. So I think, yeah, like, but I think overall, like, one of the big issues this year was there was no real like outstanding defensive player who kind of was a cut above. Yeah, no, like, no, no one had their like yeah. massive career standout yeah, yeah. year thing this like, year. Carrie really denied that JJ Watt was probably the best player last year anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Next one we have is the offensive rookie of the year. This went to Todd Gurley. Uh, a fact that we called at the midpoint as well. Todd Gurley had next. He cooled off a bit towards the back end, but like he is still the best playmaker on that team. Uh, he was essentially the entirety of their offense for most of that uh, most of that run. Uh, we all happy with Todd Gurley? Is there anyone you'd like to? Obviously, I think we said Cooper might be a close second in this. Is there anyone else you'd be throwing into that mix for offensive rookie of the year? It was like for consistency and who played like well most of the season. Obviously, he missed uh, the first few games of injury. Like it was just a phenomenal performance, and his yards per carry is ridiculous, especially considering that the help from that quarterback position was non-existent. <laughs> it was in fact like the opposite of that, yeah. nearly. And Cooper kind of he faded a lot towards the end as well. Although we we're now aware that that's due primarily to an injury that he picked up. That yeah. they were, like they were actually looking to mothball him uh, for the last month of the season, but they kept him going. So I think mm-hmm. yeah. Pretty much indisputable that Gurley probably should have got this. Yeah, yeah. It's like Todd Gurley did all that on a team where you know you use your you use your running attack to stop passing game. He's on a team where they you know pretended to throw passes to try and create space in the run game. And the fact that he was able to 
when you know obviously production dropped off because teams just zeroed in on him because they knew that St. Louis could do basically nothing mm-hmm. else. But he still wasn't playing terribly, and that those first few weeks when he was that wild card and people didn't know, you know, people didn't know that they needed to shut him down, yeah. and knew didn't know that they could afford to throw everything to shut him down. Like it was spectacular for a rookie to carry an offense like that. No. Particularly a bad offense. Be very interesting to see now. Uh, and then the last one that we're going to have a chat about is defensive rookie of the year. Uh, this went to Marcus Peters. A fact that I called halfway through the season. Uh, yeah, boy. Uh, <laughs> mostly because you all backed drug cheats. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, Peters has been thrown at the most this year of any corner. Has the most passes defended. Uh, most return yards most interceptions uh, he has allowed I think six touchdowns possibly seven but yeah like when you're thrown at more than twice as much as the next person down you're likely to do that he's good numbers uh, and was pretty much from, from from what I gather mostly unanimous across the board from people uh, there was one or two other people that were in the consideration as well uh, are we happy with this one who would we throw in uh, we're going to discount the drug guy alright you can you can back him if you want <laughs> no Fucking Quan Alexander. I think he prick. was like the one, like one of the few rookies that was put in day one and did a good job from day one, mm. and basically become integral to it and could easily be the number one quarter, number one cornerback for Kansas City next year, and has earned that right. Yeah, assuming what happens with uh, Sean Smith. Yeah, next yeah. Given, given that I don't think we're going to be able to pay Sean Smith whatever, like yeah. thirteen and a half million. <laughs> so yeah, if you find if you find your new number one uh, cornerback and he does well his first year, you know you got you got something good there. Yeah. Yeah, like you can't you can't disagree with it. Yeah. Spectacular like, stuff from a from a rookie in particular. And well, the other thing, one of the stats you mentioned you're going through, he had an extremely low burn percentage. This so basically burn percentage measures how often a cornerback gets beat on a round. Oh yes, yeah. And usually even for very good corners it's in fifty to sixty percent. It's only obviously when they're thrown to. Yeah. Not just in general. And Peters was very, very uh, low down. I think he was in the top ten in the league. Yeah. Which is very impressive for a rookie. There's there's elements that I like that I think he needs to work on. Obviously, like there's there's he's he's very much a ball hawking kind of cornerback. So like there's times where you see him and he will go for a big play rather than just a knockdown. And he's had like one or two completions come through because of that. So I think he needs to probably work on decision making at that spot. It's obviously good to have that mentality to go for it, but also like as he progresses, he probably pick up more understanding of situationally when to when to make a big play and when to make a simple smart play kind of thing but uh, yeah I'm quite happy with that yep cool let's move on to the last section of the news today uh, we're going to have a look at the Hall of Fame I didn't get to follow all that much of this Brett Favre got in it took 10 seconds uh, but as long as it takes to take a <laughs> <laughs> never forget <laughs> so yeah that was like Favre was kind of a given wasn't he mm. Unquestionable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marvin Harrison, seventh in all-time yards, certain receptions. He's in. The, the issue here, I think, is compar- comparing him to someone like Terrell Owens and where that comes down. Yes, here's here's here, here's the main question on this one. Terrell Owens was not uh, inducted this year. He is second in yards, third in touchdowns, and sixth in receptions. What do we make of this? Would you put Harrison in ahead of Owens? or like? I think, on, I think it's a reputation thing. Uh, and I think it's also like Harrison's obviously this was, like it's the first time for Terrell uh, for Owens. Well, obviously Harrison's been there for a couple of years at this point, and it kind of also pairs quite well with the Dungy pick as well. It's kind of a thematic kind of thing there. Like the problem for receivers right now is that with the exception of Randy Moss, there probably won't be another like first ballot uh, Hall of Famer because simply because the amount of like receivers exploding in terms of yards and like in, in terms of performance has been so kind of the opposite of what's happening to running backs right now where you'll probably see a pretty large stop 
with the exception of Adrian Peterson, just due to how how the comparison between old style running backs where they were the centre of the team versus new new style where they're you know usually complementary players, but wide receivers have been the beneficiary of that since quarterback plays become so important. I would definitely define it as a snub. Like Owens probably deserves it on balance, but I think the reputation kind of got ahead of him. Nobody liked him, and he was kind of seen as a problem for the locker room. Yeah, uh, and obviously, like he wasn't necessarily seen as the kind of player who helped you win championships with, or like get through the tough times that are needed to mm-hmm. win championships. No, of course. Uh, to be honest, I think it's ridiculous that Terrell Owens isn't the first ballot Hall of Famer. Like whatever you want to say about his personality or his locker room thing, like oh, you know, he caused trouble on the team. Yeah, he might have like caused trouble. He's still second all time in yards. Like he would kind of have been causing that much trouble. If he was doing like putting in that kind of production, and yeah, there's a lot of like, oh yeah, you know, he's a diva. He was a whatever. He did a lot of celebrations and he fought with the NFL a lot, which probably didn't help his cause in the long term. But like, look, Brett Favre sent his dick to a bunch of people. Marvin Harrison was implicated in all these. It was a picture of his dick. Yeah, be far worse. Well, okay, fair enough. Okay, Brett Favre didn't physically send his dick to people, but y- you understand my gist. Yeah, Marvin Harrison was caught all these allegations oh, surrounding. <laughs> surrounding shootings and things like that and I think that the problem with the Hall of Fame is that they use this uh, voting is they use this oh it's a question of personality thing uh, to really settle grudges basically with players they didn't like and I think this is a case of that because you want to talk about like Owen's off field issues you have to talk about Harrison's or Favre's or any of a large number of players in there and bear in mind that Hall of Fame voters right so Peter King who the journalist who's a Hall of Fame voter said that two years ago wrote an article about how he wouldn't consider the Darren Sharper's a, a rape case against them because it's just about what you do on the field. So it's entirely about what suits them. And I think it's it's fairly ridiculous to make that claim and then not vote in Terrell Owens on the basis of stuff he didn't do he didn't do on the field because you can't argue with what he did on the field. No, of course. The other one that we're looking at as well is uh, Kurt Warder is yet again not uh, not gotten through here. I um, think I think this is a is a bit of a, a bad snub. I mean, he's I know really- he's white and everything, <laughs> and he's a working he, class American hero. I mean, he he won one Super Bowl. He all he came very close to winning two other Super Bowls. Like, there's probably an alternate universe in which he's a three time Super Bowl winner. He took the Cardinals. To the Super Bowl um, when all he really had was Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, he he pulled himself up from the streets of the arena leagues. You know, he well, he worked his way through NFL. Yeah, he, he has he has like the most fantastic story of anyone in the NFL. Like he's, he's doing gross like bagging groceries and then just uh, just got to got got uh, picked up from there to come across and play. Like it's I mean, he was on that Rams team that at the turn of the, the century was one, was considered at the time to be one of the best teams of all time and it was only when he got injured and the whole thing fell apart that the team collapsed Yeah. so I mean I think I think he's very underappreciated uh, as a quarterback I suppose that's the black mark he did uh, he did send, uh, spend a little bit of his career in a kind of limbo which is very rare for like a franchise quarterback even at that mm. stage I think there's like kind of an issue there where he was, like, he was literally like being benched and stuff like that I think for the Giants, I believe, was uh, when he got benched in the interim before he got traded to the Giants. Yes, 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 yes. He so, like, that's probably, like, I don't know, like, that, I don't think that's good enough because obviously, you know, it's the seasons that you play that matter and based mm. on those, I thought he should have got in last year, definitely should have got in this year, but like, he, he'll get it down the road. There's no particular reason why he shouldn't. Yeah, no, of course, of course. But yeah, is there anything else that stands out for you from the Hall of Fame stuff you want to have a chat about? Yeah, I think uh, this is the sixth year Don Coriel hasn't been voted in. Uh, former coach down in San Diego, Air Coriel. Okay, yeah, didn't win a Super Bowl, postseason record a bit spotty. But when you're looking at like that sort of era in the NFL, the sort of transitional phase, like he was one of the guys who made the game into what we recognize now in terms of passing attack, four wide receiver sets, 
And it's just, like, there's so many guys who, if you ask them, who are in the Hall of Fame, even people like John Madden, who say, like, we owe so much of where we've come from and what we do to this guy. It is a bit bizarre that when you recognize, when you have somebody who had that much of an influence on how the game is played and helped shape what we now recognize as football, it, it's a bit much to see him be consistently snubbed because his team just never won a Super Bowl, despite all of the other things he did and all of the transformational influence he had on the league. Yeah, I mean, if if John Madden thinks you should be in the Hall of Fame, then you probably should be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I was just to mention the two other people who got in, which is Kevin Green and Orlando Pace. Kind of definitely in the kind of cleaning up shop, kind of yeah, getting picking up the loose ends. Them, yeah. These were players who had like phenomenal careers, but perhaps didn't have the same kind of high profile that uh, some of the, their contemporaries had. So it's kind of taken a little bit longer for them to to make this final step. But definitely, definitely uh, worthy. Uh, players, Kevin Green, third in all times in sacks, and Orlando Pace is part of that kind of elite left tackle group that was around in the early 2000s, along with Walter Jones and Ogden, uh, kind of considered on the same level, and they're both in the Hall of Fame. So, kinda... although the big the big one is like even for the players who have not gotten in this time, at least they had the chance to play in Pro Bowls previously. True, the that true is... mark of an excellent NFL player. They should have the Hall of Pro Bowls, you know. <laughs> yeah, for those who have been elite in Pro Bowls. Like you gotta, you gotta beat the best to be the best, yeah. and that only happens at a Pro Bowl. Exactly. Because, like we said, we joked about this last week that maybe we should watch a replay of the Pro Bowl instead of watching the Super Bowl. Surprise, surprise! Maybe that wouldn't have been the worst <laughs> idea. <laughs> so we're gonna go on. We're gonna have a little chat about uh, last night's game, the Super Bowl Fifty. Alright, so we had the Super Bowl last night. We were all in here watching it. Wasn't exactly what we were expecting, I'd say. In fact, almost the opposite of what we were expecting to happen happened. Carolina took on Denver and lost 10-24 to in quite a meh game. As we were saying earlier, one for the purists, <laughs> possibly. Uh, lowest total yards for a Super Bowl winner at 196 yards. There was not a single passing touchdown thrown in this game, unless you count like an interception. There wasn't even an intercepted thrown touchdown. This was a game where neither quarterbacks really got a huge amount going and the defences kind of ruled the day. Overall, I suppose, your initial take on it, what did you make of the game, Ronan? Yeah, like as as you say, it was definitely one for the the defensive masterclass. And like I think the like when it came down to the difference was that while the Carolina defense was solid, uh, the Denver defense was not only like effective in stopping plays but actually making plays. Like the Denver defense all day was getting sacks; they were generating turnovers. And if you can win that like balance of turnover battle, in most games you're going to win. And I think in the end, both of their touchdowns came off, uh, basically came off fumbles from Vaughn Miller. And I think like that's the kind of thing which kind of showed the difference between these two defenses. Like I think the Carolina defense has been like very good all year, but in this game they just didn't seem to have the same uh, efficacy uh, in getting those aggressive plays. Some might even say uh, controversially aggressive plays. Yeah, there was there was a, there was a couple of bits we'll probably chat about later on, especially early on in this game where there was, there was very clearly targeting happening and like people just playing filthily at points and I don't know, it did seem to calm off in the back half and but wasn't doesn't seem to have been through any kind of like referee stepping in and having a word with people we'll see. But yeah, you're right, like it was a very strong defensive performance by uh Denver when you saying the pressure thing. They had seven sacks and thirteen QB hits in this game, which is far beyond anything that Cam has experienced this season. And as we saw there's a big difference 
statistically in him this season when he's got pressure in his face and when he's getting hit rather than people always say that and I always think it's a bit weird of course people are less good at throwing the ball when they're getting hit in the face by a 300 pound man <laughs> like don't really need like regressive statistics to tell you that yeah no I think defensively it was very strong as I said earlier for me the issue is that the Panthers never reacted that they're once they realize that their game the standard A game was not working. There was no there was no moment of genius. There was no way of finding around that they just kind of eventually gave up. Um, and you could see the attitude of the players as the game went on. They were getting more and more kind of desperate and frustrated because they couldn't find a way to, yeah. to fix the problems. There was um, there was uh, tweets and, and comments coming out from Broncos players about this after the game saying uh, they were very surprised at what they, what they got from this Panthers offense was what they had planned for for the previous two weeks that they obviously they that you plan for what you've seen on tape but you expect new wrinkles new things yeah, they said yeah, yeah. literally what they were playing against was what they had prepped for two weeks they weren't seeing new stuff they knew where where, where plays were going there wasn't anything new and then like you said there wasn't really adaptation a- after which that which to me is like the number one that's the thing that separates the, the good teams from the elite teams the teams that are able to find multiple ways of beating you even in difficult situations no of course Harry yeah, I think Sean's pretty much nailed it there. It was a failure to adjust from Carolina, and it was a failure to um, have a plan B, uh, or even have that much of a coherent plan. They were like, go out and do what we always do, but there was no no sense of that they figured out any particular weakness on Denver or anything to exploit. It was just, if we play the way we play, we're going to be good enough to beat them. But when that doesn't work out, you need to have something else. You need to have something you can attack or exploit on the offensive side of the book. So defense was, was generally pretty good. On the offensive side of the ball, you need something like that, and they didn't have it. But on the other hand, credit to Denver, as in I'm not sure what Carolina could have done given the um, personnel they have. Yeah. Like, they were in a situation where the receivers just could not get separation. Ginn and Funchess and Brown, before they got knocked out of the game, struggled to get struggled to get separation. Greg Olson was, was taken out of it, uh, mostly by Bradley Roby, who had a great game, uh, very quietly, just making him, uh, him, him ineffective. To a large part, the running game struggled badly. Obviously, Jonathan Stewart being not 100% after early mm-hmm. on in the game didn't help the situation there. But there were there were moments where so where Carolina just they made those errors as well to, to compound it. And I mean, you look at what happened. So obviously, the first Denver touchdown when Malik Jackson recovered the fumble in the end zone came off of a um, very questionable uh, decision not to reverse the call after Ch- Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, 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 the ball that was very clearly caught and yes. challenged and then upheld as not a catch even yeah. after the challenge. And after that, immediately after that, you see the, the strip sack. And there, there were moments where Carolina just seemed to, when things didn't go their way, struggle to know what to do. And I think that sort of... You know, it's not the case. Oh, yeah, one led to the other, and they just lost their focus. But it was all part of the the general thing of being like, when things didn't work, there was no ability to pick themselves up and find a different way to do it. It was just a repetition of, okay, we're going to just keep keep trying, keep on pounding. Is that is that kind of frustration, and then not having the experience at this level yeah, to 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 kind of deal with those frustrations in that big of a scenario? I don't, I don't necessarily experience so much as it ultimately came down to personnel. I think you look at like the O-line got overwhelmed, particularly on the on the tackles. The receivers couldn't get separation. The run game couldn't get going. So I think that even if you've got the most experienced guys in the world and you can't find an opening, I don't know how much that's gonna gonna help. And it's a factor, but I don't think it's the I don't think it's the critical the critical one. 
Fair enough. Like I thought, like they kind of got sucker punched. Like I think, like they they finished the first half fairly well. They got it. They got yeah. touchdown. They got back into the game and it looked like they they could like push off from there. And then they actually had two good drives at the beginning of the second half, but both of them ended up in turnovers. And I think that, like, I think when you're talking about inexperience, when you have those kind of sucker punch events happening, where you you do the, you do the good stuff, you get into position to get points, and then you give the ball away, and then you let Denver go back to what they they did for long stretches of the game, which is just grind the game out keep them from doing stuff like they needed to get points when they were moving down the field making 50 yards in a drive and they there was just like a couple of drives the second half was just seen to knock the stuffing on them and when it came to the fourth quarter like for a team which has been like so well known for its energy and, and like its passion or whatever you want to call it who have always been up like had such up tempo it just seemed that those kind of the failure for their system to work and to actually fail in such a like significant way seemed to just like creep in through that entire offense especially and leave them without the energy which was such a part of making them effective mm-hmm. or at least like giving them that sense of momentum uh, over a defense which was playing with swagger all, all evening. Yeah, no, of course. Like we've, we, we've mentioned there that there wasn't a huge amount coming out of the Panthers' offense. They, the defense effectively took away Olsen, who we thought would be key to them having success in this game. They did a good job with that, and then there was quite a lot of drop balls by the rest of the receivers. In terms of the Denver offense, it was kind of surprising. They came out passing uh, at the start of this game. Uh, and then started to, to, to lean more and more and more back onto the run game. I <laughs> uh, think that kind of lack of offense on both sides is indicative with the fact that the MVP in this went to uh, defensive player Von Miller. Got two two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and is uh, about to enter uh, contract negotiation times. Money, money, money. <laughs> dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Oh, he's going to get paid. So I presume as we were all very happy with this MVP and that it makes the most sense, yeah. Yeah, I think the two fumbles that were probably the two biggest plays in the game, and he was responsible for both of them. So I think that in itself mm, is yeah. probably enough. The two strip sacks led to to touchdowns. So uh, one directly, and one obviously uh, that, that that was the other play that uh, Denver managed to get a touchdown. So yeah, like that, that makes him pretty valuable, I think. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So, how much do we see this impacting his number going into these negotiations? They're going to want to lock this guy down because there will be 20-odd teams that would look to lock him down if he was to hit the free market. Uh, From what we gather, they're going to slap a franchise tag on him and then negotiate from that point. Where do we think he's going to land money-wise? Is he going to be Watt money, Houston money, or is he going to be going up to like Sue money here? Probably looking at him going towards the top, if not the top end of that scale. The the franchise tax situation is does is one that obviously makes sense for Denver. Um, it's fourteen million ish, is it? Yeah, like, it's it's obviously easier to give a guy the average of the top five salaries than give him the top five salary. That's <laughs> give him the top one salary. Mm. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what comes from those negotiations, particularly with Denver's cap situation. Now, presumably Manning's going to retire, so that will free up something. But Denver's cap management has been recently very, very close to the well, end. So they've been, they've been building themselves for this run. They have, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what their ceiling is, basically, and whether or not they can meet what Miller wants. Now, I would assume that from Miller's perspective, if he's going to get paid, maybe not like the top guy in the league, but still get paid very well, the incentive is still there to stay because they keep that defense together. You know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter who they have at quarterback. They can still be a successful team. So that aspect of being part of a, a team that's more likely to make a run, rather than do what Sue did and go off to the highest bidder and end up yeah. well, yeah, that ended well for everyone. <laughs> or, uh, the thing is, like, the thing is, we say that, but like, there's only so badly you can think it's gone for a guy who's getting paid 120 million to live in Miami. Oh no, that's the, well, <laughs> traffic's awful. But, uh, that, that's very he much. He buys a helicopter. 
I think there's going to be an incentive for him to stay beyond just the cash. So I think if Denver make a good offer that may not be necessarily the best offer, he'll still, I think, be more likely to stay than not. Yeah, no, no, of course. Like, what do you guys reckon? Think Is this going to be a kind of hold it together for one year while they transition into getting their new quarterbacks under centre? and Or is this going to be like a long-term deal done before the start of the season next year? Well, the the franchise tag gives you a lot of leverage, which is the main like the main like the main reason that Sue got his like actually got to go to proper free agency is that the Lions have truly atrocious cap management and they basically had to like they couldn't afford the franchise tag. <laughs> like the franchise tag is massive amount of leverage, but I think in the era of where we're seeing massive amount of cap inflation, I think it's going to probably about another ten fifteen million this year again. That seems like the kind of area where like in terms of percentage of the cap. I think that he will justify that kind of sue money. Uh, maybe like that's what he'll ask for, and I wouldn't be surprised that he won't go for anything less. I think he may like, even though his value, it's difficult to imagine his value going up more. It, it isn't difficult to imagine him considering that he could get more if he keeps pushing the envelope and trying to uh, uh, trying to get everything he's worth by trying to make them use a double tag, which the money goes up again. And then obviously uh, after that, he would actually hit free agency. But like I think the Broncos are aware of that, and like they don't want this hanging over the team going forward, especially with so many other, and especially with cap management, with so many of their expensive defensive players, it's going to require actually knowing where you're going to be in a year or two time. Yeah, I think the Broncos know how much of a psychological blow it would be to lose your Super Bowl winning MVP. You see that in other teams in terms, of, say, like the Flacco effect. I mean, how much they, how much teams overvalue MVPs in immediate negotiations after Super Bowl so I think if Miller's got good or good agents um, then he will make a lot of bank I'm hoping he's got a better agent than Malcolm Smith did yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like there's, they, they seem to have quite a lot of pieces that are going to be up for renewal or kind of due for new contracts and stuff so it will be hard to tie all of this group together because it's got like Marshall Davis and a few of these chaps are all going to yeah, be... Yeah, especially in that, like the insider defence. Malik Jackson is obviously... like They signed Wolf. They've re- already re-signed Wolf. Yeah. Malik Jackson, probably, like I think, in, in general consideration is that he's good, but that he'll probably get more get overpaid in free agency. Yeah. Uh, and they won't be able to like match that, considering their issues. So and both Crane, Marshall, is a good yeah. few of them knocking around. Yeah, they're two inside linebackers, Marshall and Trevathan, are also up. So yeah. I think, like... There's definitely going to be a few players who go, but obviously Von Miller is a, is like a step above those type of players. But yeah, so well done, Von Miller. Well-deserved MVP, and you are going to get paid. Hopefully, he's invested some of his money in a functional fax machine for both parties so they can make sure <laughs> nothing happens uh, a la Doomerville back in the day. Yeah. Uh, the other big story, I suppose, is fuck Peyton Manning, right? No, I, li- I dislike him more than I dislike J.J. Watt at the moment. So J- Pey- Peyton Manning is on a team that wins a Super Bowl uh, and therefore Pey- gets a ring. Peyton and- Manning presented by Papa John's Pizza yeah. and Budweiser. And Budweiser, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, he went over and like gave a hug and a kiss to Papa John on the sidelines before he even put on the championship hat. Like, it was ridiculous. But yeah, so Peyton gets his ring. It means he's now got his two rings. There was a hilarious image of Eli Manning looking incredibly depressed in the corpse week, like upstairs. It's going, it's my one thing is gone now. I'll have to go and win another one against the Patriots. Like, where does this leave Peyton? Like, like I, I said last week, I don't think 
the result of this game yeah. it's going to affect him a huge amount but it probably does just solidify where he was that he's now got his two rings and he can ride off into the sunset or yeah. whatever I mean American sports are all about big games as opposed to consistency I don't think it changes it also changes legacy in any way at all because he made his influence on them winning last night was almost non-existent you could have put about 20 quarterbacks in that position and the Broncos would have won I do think yeah in terms of looking back the fact that he has the two and not the one does speak to him um, he's certainly now at least the joint equal best Manning quarterback <laughs> um, but how's he rank all time he's got the stats to say that he's in the top five all time um, I would still put him below people like Brady and maybe even people like Brett Favre yeah I think he's very good regular season quarterback and that's all he's ever been and I don't think him winning this ring actually changes that part of the discussion like that, that's very similar to how I see it I look at him as being he was a very very good quarterback no doubt about that I think a very smart quarterback I think obviously physical limitations towards the back couple of years of his career I've limited where he could go like he missed a whole season and a half basically because of that neck stuff and everything uh, like he got that season and a half back with HGH allegedly <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't think I heard at any point being mentioned or anything. No one mentioned his, no. his ongoing trouble with the background. Yeah, well, Phil, Phil Simms and Jim Nance were... Yeah, they're probably not aware of news. Yeah, like, I think he still gets his Hall of Fame stuff. Our Everyone fan. likes him. He's now got his recent nickname, the Sheriff, the Sheriff which no one had called him up until about three or four yeah, weeks ago. John Gruden used to call Navarro Bowman the Sheriff, and then, for some reason, became Peyton Manning's thing this year, as far as I'm aware. I have no idea why, but yeah, so that's that's the thing. Like, he's going to do grand, he's going to go down the books as one of the top ten anyway. He's definitely looking, to, to me, and I can't stand Peyton Manning, he is, a, he is top five all time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking at him as being not as good as guys like Brady or Marino or, or Montana, but he's he's in that He's in the lower end of that bracket, as far as I'm concerned. He's definitely the second best quarterback of his generation. <laughs> I, I think his he legacy is actually more affected by the Super Bowl they lost uh, to the Seahawks than this win. That that's going to be the stain in terms of the history that people look at that and go, "Well, how yeah. good is he if he fell apart in in the face of one of the, was, one of the best defenses?" And that was the Peyton Manning centric team, yeah. as opposed to this yeah. is the thing is that every, every time. He's gone to a Super Bowl with him as the centre. He's only got the the one, the, the Colts against the, the Rex Grossman yeah. and the Bears. <laughs> so, you God, know, there is I remember watching that one in like yeah. a crabby bar in Scotland, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the, that was, I think, I think that was the first Super Bowl I watched. And it was in Berlin. Yeah, oh, six of seven, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was exactly that. Mm. Uh, I was in first year of college now, a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, same as. We were, I think we were over in Scotland. At a, and uh, we hung around for the Sunday in Edinburgh and got taken to a student bar that was going to be showing it. But, like, not, not a proper student bar. It was just a bar that students went to. So they only had crappy little small TVs in the corner uh, and stuff. So was, I remember one, that. I remember that. Devin Hester's fucking... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. And then it was all downhill all the way for Chicago. <laughs> like the one thing to say about like like unlike Tom Brady, whose record will be linked with Belichick, obviously. Like they were like that's the top coach QB combo, and that that's a like a, a package. Like Peyton Manning's career is is Peyton Manning's alone. There will be no mm. sense of. Yeah. Uh, if anything, he, he he has the impact that Belichick has on Tom Brady's career on offensive coordinators who work with him. Everyone yeah. goes, that's not the offensive coordinator scheme. That's Peyton Manning just yeah. calling plays himself. So I have offensive coordinator smiling his way to hopefully a head coaching job. So I guess the hypothetical then is if Peyton had had a Belichick, a kind of a, a symbiotic relationship with a head coach that was that strong, I mean, how good could he have been? See, I wonder if Peyton Manning is the kind of... Because like, Tom Brady is obviously a fantastic player. and I love Tom Brady the bits, but he's not... 
he's very different from Peyton Manning in that sense of Brady. That, that like Manning does he's, his own thing. He's entitled. More than Brady. He's well, always been entitled because of his like first like pick number yeah. one coming from a footballing family. While Brady obviously came from a very different situation. I think like that's the difference in attitudes. Like yeah. like Brady has always had the chip on his shoulder, while Manning has just like. Being Manning, yeah. and this is this is this is what's due to me, rather than this is what I've worked for. Kind I think of that's kind of what like the kind of difference in the sense yeah. of their the way that like their careers will be viewed. You know, yeah, exactly, and that's why I wonder if a guy with that kind of attitude, Peyton Manning, could work that well with a guy like Belichick because both of those guys are very dominant personalities. Yeah, and you could see that causing causing ructions at the end of the day. Very yeah, true. could do. There's a few other bits from the game, but we'll get to that. We'll get to the second half of this coverage after we do our halftime show. Uh, with our halftime show review, Coldplay. That was a bit shade, wasn't it? It was certainly in the top fifty of, of Super Bowl <laughs> halftime shows. I'm not sure if there was a halftime show at the first yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't quite the Black Eyed Peas. Yes, uh, but that's because that was like a war crime. Yeah, um, it wasn't great. <laughs> well, did, did did figure out in the middle of it though, like possibly either. A big... nearly fell over. That was fun. Yeah, that was good. But there was that there was that section where like for their big finale song or whatever, like it was just them playing in the background while they showed videos of other much better acts <laughs> and like we, I think we were saying here in the house at the time like oh it makes sense these guys are like the acts that you can forget are actually playing while looking at good previous acts and um, the other thing that it might have just been that I, I just didn't get it what was the element of the future acts in it because they were meant to be past present and future oh, I think it was all the, the kids the kids the tra- was that the kids yeah. with the tracksuits and uh, the weird shit must like, there was a load of kids in the choir and stuff like that so I assume it was something to do with that it, it was pretty incoherent I don't think like, yeah. like you know they mashed three well Coldplay are pretty bad but like Beyonce and Bruno Mars are alright but yeah it was good. like it just didn't fit together very well it was just like oh here's some songs you heard and then here's another artist with a song you've heard and then here's Beyonce with her new song it, it felt like they were trying to like at that point they, they'd done the Coldplay thing and made that deal and they were like actually not sure this is a big enough draw so you pull in Bruno Mars and Beyonce who did two of the more successful halftime shows quite recently to bolster a fairly weak just, it should just be like Bruce Springsteen Koch gif over and over again <laughs> like playing over like some of like his greatest hits you know mm. they didn't even get him to come just like play his best <laughs> hits and just show that show the crotch shot again and again and again yeah but with like one frame of like Janet Jackson's nipple <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that was missing from their highlight reel of past halftime acts like Coldplay are just really boring. It's always impressive to look at, but that thing I also found impressive is just just the logistics of like they roll out a like a giant stage setup. They get a load of people onto a pitch to dance around to a load of music. Then they roll all that off and they're ready to play again in half an hour. I've actually got to say, I thought like in terms of logistic displays of whatever, I thought it was one of the least impressive. Like look at what Katy Perry or Madonna did. Oh yeah, like, no, no, I don't, like, it's, not, it's, it's not. It's not like we said this. Last it's low key. It's low key by comparison to what they've got in the other. One. Like this one was all just about the the walkway being a giant screen that they could show shit on. Yeah. But like it's it yeah like other ones are more impressive. It's just more the general thing of being able to have a a football playing surface. Transform it into a stage with a with a people outside it, and then that off, and all that done within kind of twenty five minutes. Like I just find that remarkable every time I see it. And I think we're definitely continuing to see that the the halftime show it's not it's not for the fans. It's not probably for the average NFL like viewer who who watches through the through the season. It's kind of like pop acts for the people, like the you know, the millions of people who will only be watching this game. And the other thing is like a lot of these even these acts which are more modern tend to be coming a year too off when they're like peak popularity yeah maybe it's, it's probably because like 
I don't know if they're literally paying to do the Super Bowl show now. They were asking they're... last year for them to pay yeah, the right. acts to pay to play the Super Bowl um, because mm-hmm. of the exposure it would give them. Yeah, so it's kind of like I think like like they can only really go for pop acts anymore, or they seem to be going for that. Mm. And it's ones which are like a couple of years out of date, and it's kind of like and they can still put on a good show. Like Katy Perry can't deny she put on no, a good show. Mm-hmm. And she has the best sharks. Uh, no <laughs> One of the best sharks. One of the best, <laughs> best sharks. Yeah. It's a halftime show. It's not really for people who've been watching all season. It's just, you know, it's yeah, something it's to keep people talking over and have something to discuss, you know? Now, we had an interesting stream, a legal stream that was totally <laughs> above board. Uh, of we this are game. based in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Yes. Anyone asks. That, 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 is, that is where we were watching the game from last night. That is where I live now. But we got a ver- some very interesting regional ads. There was a lot of your, a lot of your kind of standard fare. So we got like, we got like the, the, the full on intense Budweiser one. Uh, and whatnot. We'll go to, everyone can have a quick think and think about an ad you like. My personal favourite was the one for the local Amish furniture store. <laughs> uh, so the chap came on TV and he was like, you want some good handmade furniture? All ours is made by real Amish people. And then of course the question was, if, how, how are you on television then? But he himself is not Amish. He just he just goes and buys it off the Amish people. <laughs> so our main our main our main question was: How do you convince an Amish person that you have a gourd that is the shape of a forty six inch television and tell them that's the size of cabinet you need to make? So yes, my my personal favorite was probably that. Local Amish made furniture ad. Uh, I, I'm going to make a strong case for another one of the local ads, which was the the car dealership one. Oh yes, where this local car dealership had basically put out an ad of like this idea of oh it's a f- looks really dodgy, and then had their own guys being like oh we're way more reliable than the really dodgy guy we made up. Except somehow they managed to come off as even creepier and less trustworthy than their image of the world's most oily salesman. And it was yeah. like, there's, there's, there's I, I don't want to buy from you guys. There's something, <laughs> there's something inherently worrying, whatever. It's like, you you create a caricature, a trope of the dodgiest salesman in the world. You show that on your own and go, well, we're not as dodgy as that guy. <laughs> uh, Sean Ronan? Uh, well, it's going to be hard to top uh, Amish Furniture. Uh, I did like the Christopher Walken one where he did normal acting on t- up to the point at which he had to sell the car, at which point you could see his enthusiasm drop <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, God. Like, for me, it was like the weird Amazon Siri stick thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, the, like, the, the Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott and Alec Baldwin. And just like... It didn't make any sense. It was just like it's like it's it's like a like a music stick like root thing whatever which has zero voice activation bullshit. Uh, it's like Amazon's like answer to that, and it was just weird. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, cause, cause I was like, confused. Like they halfway through the ad, they became aware that they were in an ad for an Amazon music stick, yeah. and then Missy Elliott was like, "Oh, if I'm on an ad, yeah. here's my new Drop song." An album, like yeah, yeah. like. Uh, yeah, that was confusing. Some kind of Alec Baldwin related hashtag. I forget what it was exactly, but it was it was very confusing. It was a very, <laughs> it was a very incoherent ad. Yeah, it did just uh, pivot into Missy Elliott dropping an album and then come back to buy our music stick thing yeah. because Dan Marino and Alec Baldwin are having an argument about which one of them is a bigger loser. Yeah, it was it was a very did, didn't very, make me want to buy it. No, two out of ten would not bang. <laughs> <laughs> think if we can think of any other ones, we can come back to them at the end if anything else is Helen Mirren Budweiser. Yeah, there's Helen Mirren Brother. There was there was also there was also the um the 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 one of like gi- giant people sorry people dressed in like giant ketchup and mustard bottles oh, the, the, as the, the, dogs, the dogs ran towards them dressed as hot dogs. That was kind of cute. I like that. Yeah. Was that really terrible ad where it's like you know the the saying like if. When you assume you make an ass out of you, oh, and, and then, then they, they ran literally, literally the, yeah, the people turned into asses, and they, they never 
actually oh, and then explain the joke yeah. to each other. I can't even remember what that ad was for. It was. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> I'm going to guess truck or Viagra. Maybe uh, they assumed that you would remember. What oh, the, the sheep was. with the uh, singing the Queen song. Yeah. Oh my God, Jesus! What was that about? Oh my God! Oh, the, the most exploded about them all—the one where they got an ex-astronaut to drive a car while David Bowie's oh, yeah. Spaceman played in the background. The Audi. The Audi. Yeah, the Audi R8 ad. Oh God. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. It was a very good. Uh, the, the No More ad was was good though. The domestic violence ad. Was, oh was, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite quite. Uh, Quite well, well constructed. So credit to them for that. Yeah, not the worst. Well, the median line is: is was this better than BBC's basic baby intro to NFL <laughs> sections? I do love that. Like halfway yes. through, it's like you're you're halfway through the third quarter. Like, and we've got a tweet in from one of our listeners asking how many points a touchdown worth. <laughs> Could you explain this, please? And then I'll cut to like some British rugby player who'll be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> or they cut to the crowd. Oh yeah, we've just gone to the crowd where we've got somebody who was in two episodes of EastEnders attending the game. To be honest, like I am, I'm overjoyed when that happens because it's time that Neil Reynolds is not on screen. But he's Sky so he's never yeah. on screen for BBC. I thought, but I thought they did the crossover stuff of like chat to him on the Wembley days don't oh, they? they probably yeah, they pro- like he was so. the, he's the NFL UK guy so he probably yeah, yeah, like they, oh, they, he's they, awful yeah, yeah, yeah. we would agree he's awful. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure, like, More Jeff Reinbold. I love yeah. Jeff Reinbold. <laughs> I'd say bring back Danny Amendola he was great. So I suppose after the game we saw uh, some potentially it's going to be covered in the media anyway stuff about Cam not being like not being respectful enough to the to the media and like walking out One because days. yeah what a prick he lost the Super Bowl and he's annoyed like so he left although he did leave after like two minutes or something along those lines yeah. it, like this seems to be like just something that's going to be spun out in the media for three or four days just because three they, or four months it's yeah, the off season yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, the issue for Cam is it's going to be paired with that one play, uh, the second uh, strip fumble, where he refused, like he basically, oh, yeah. the ball was on the ground, he was there, and he backed out when he saw the two Broncos players coming in aggressively to get the ball, and like that, that paired with the kind of generally not very upbeat attitude, like you know, it's like I, I kind of joked during the t- thing, it's like like one of the Panthers players like flipped, like got a unless like a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for clicking the ball out of one of the Denver uh, receivers when they got a first down and I was basically like well if you don't want them to celebrate getting first down stop them from getting first down (laughs) (laughs) so it's kind of it's kind of a sense because we've had this whole thing about like oh he's just a big kid and though his energy is great uh, but then you see something there he's not like they'll say he didn't put himself before the team and his energy when they actually lost you know, where's the dabbing now? Where's all that stuff? Like, it it kind of comes with the territory with how he's played the game and what we've liked from his game. Yeah. But if he's, like, he's just, he, like, I think he just needs to, like, professionalise up. Like, you like you know, if Tom Brady loses the Super Bowl, if, De- if Peyton Manning loses the Super Bowl, even if, like, like Russell Wilson's probably the, probably the comparison for younger quarterbacks, they go in, they say what they need to say, and then they leave, but they do professionally so the people... Don't ha- they don't want to say anything because it's too goddamn boring to say anything about it. Cam Newton is leaving himself open and like like the discussion about that at the press conference was that the two coaches uh, the offensive coordinator were like looking at him and telling put down your hood uh, like basically kind of motioning to put down your hood and that was caught by the reporters and it's just it just doesn't look good he needs to just be a little bit more boring when they're losing when things are going wrong to ensure like yeah this is always going to be a problem for him reputationally or he just can't he can choose not to give a fuck but this stuff will fall around yeah like it just it seems it seems stupid like I like like I said I get entirely that he's annoyed at this point they've lost the Super Bowl and that kind of stuff and like no one wants to answer questions uh, 
I, I get entirely you'll be pissed off and you don't want to do this stuff but like it is it is what it is you're paid millions of dollars to play this game to, you have to do your media stuff you, you can you can go down the Marshawn Lynch route of I'm only here so I don't get fined but like you know, that's that's in essence making a story out of something that you're trying to claim you actually don't want to make a story out of like the thing if you sit down and you go look we weren't good enough we fucked up that's grand. Leave it at that. You don't go in and sit in front of cameras and look pissed off and refuse to walk and storm out and stuff. Because then you're just making it more about you and stuff. Like I, I, it just seems like a bad way to deal with it. I, I actually, I, I, I get what you're saying. I, I disagree. I don't think it's Cam making it about him. This is the sports media making it about themselves, right? And that's what all this shit is. What all the Marshall Lynch stuff is about. All that nonsense. These are the people who, who lap it up when Bill Belichick goes out and just takes the piss out of them in press conferences, right? But they don't give other people that leeway. The guy, he's young enough. He's coming off probably the most emotional loss of his career. He's put in a situation where he's now forced to go out and talk to a bunch of people. He, As we've seen from his past career, he doesn't particularly like dealing with a lot of the time, even in pre-game or when they've won games. And like, think, oh, you know, where's the dabbing now? I mean, like, if he was dabbing after you fucking won, they'd tear him to pieces as well. It's a no-win situation for a guy like that. And what this is, is the media is entitlement. Right? They're absolute entitlement. Because bear in mind, players are mandated to talk to the media, so they have a rule that yeah. grants them that entitlement. Their, their reaction is, is, we don't get what we want to do, so we're going to make a story out of it, because the most important thing right now, after this guy has just lost the Super Bowl, is how he treats the media. And I just find that to be emblematic of the laziness and self-absorbed nature of NFL journalism in America right now. And that is one of the things that really, really, really annoys me, particularly because it is almost invariably directed at young black men. Right. I agree with you to one extent. I also think, though, like, we do this to everyone after these scenarios. Everyone spent a good two weeks ripping the shit out of Rex Ryan when he interviewed himself after he had a bad game. We will always tear into people regardless of the scenario. This is the way... This is the only medium, really, that they have for them to like speak with fans, for fans to read a news story about how their team... Because they've got millions of people supporting them. They've got, whatever, 150 million people watching it just in America. And they want to say, like, look, what, is there anything you want to say to the fans? How do you feel about the loss? Let them chat through it and that kind of stuff. They just want to go, like, look... How do you feel about it? And instead of that, he's kicking up a hissy fit. Like, if anyone did this, if Peyton Manning did this, i call him a prick for doing it. If anyone was acting like this afterwards, because if you're going to go and talk a big game and be like, look, we're going to go out there, we're going to win, we're going to be tough, we're going to do... Then you can't just go like, oh no, fuck off, I don't want to talk about it. Wow, well, wow, you wow. Can't go, oh, the guys fought hard, we were beaten. Like, because Cam did go out basically and say, yeah, we weren't good enough, we fucked up. I don't, and then, like, he did give the two minutes of the standard stuff, and then he just I, didn't want to repeat himself, which is what happens with these things, right? And just one of the, one other thing on that is, like, the Rex Ryan thing got written off as largely being funny. You know, that, that did get largely written off as being, uh, being a, f- a funny incident. Oh, Rex Ryan is cracking up, ha 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 ha. But it's not really going to maintain the same way. And also, a huge amount of fans engage through social media rather than traditional media. So I don't think getting those inane sound bites, which is what the media invariably get in these situations. And I get where you're coming from, but I don't think it actually makes the critical difference. More people are going to pay attention to an Instagram post he makes with the people who are like actually the invested fans of the team. I don't, I'm not on Instagram. I, I, <laughs> you're not an invested Carolina fan. I think it's, it's a symptom of the 24-hour news, social media news cycle. I think it's really unfair to expect professional athletes to be on all the time. And to be able to move from like the high adrenaline state of playing a game almost like straight away to the calm, professional, let's do the thing. Um, I think it's I think it is symptomatic of the pressures that we put on players, uh, and I think it, that's unfair. I think there has been this movement in the last ten years or so to this kind of instant 
and constant news coverage. And then what happens is that because of the whole Twitter thing, everybody has to stand out. So every news organization has to find their niche story that they can make a really big deal out of. And these things tend to snowball. I think if they if players like Cam, who have perhaps got maturity issues, were given a, a level of privacy by which they could actually mature and be given a kind of a comfort in terms of... And this is all sports, really, not just American football. Um, they could be given the time to actually grow into their, their their public roles, then I think this wouldn't happen as often. But it, I think it's a symptom of the fact that the media likes to have something to play off, but they also have to make copy, I guess, yeah. in, in the kind of modern Twitter. They have to make tweets. <laughs> Hashtag context. <laughs> the, modern, the modern comparison being made, like just like over the last week or so, is Brett Favre. Like he was sent off to Green Bay because like basically no, like there wasn't 24-hour news, there was no Twitter like there was only a limited amount of trouble that he could get up to in the middle of nowhere, yeah. and like and he then he found it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did. He did make. You know, he did. He did manage to find more trouble than you would imagine. But like the difference between then and now is so large. But like to be fair, like these people do get paid like you know tens of millions of pounds, and everyone like they get media training. They have plenty of people there who would say like we'll train them, and like there are like you know, over 10, 20 quarterbacks who do know what to say and are able to do that. Like, you know, like Russell Wilson was able to do it. Tom Brady would do it, as I said. Like, these are the ones who know it because you don't want to be the story at that point. You want to just say, on to Cincinnati, on to next season, up, upwards and onwards. Is that the time Tom Brady said balls 50 times in a press conference? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 the one thing, though, I was is Russell Wilson's the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Honest, to, like, I find him incredibly boring because he's too media because the thing is I, I, I look at these things I think all people want is just to get like an actual statement from them so they can get like how, how is the team dealing with how are you dealing with it? like just get a response and they can go like that's how that person feels about it or whatever like Russell Wilson is just like yeah it was a really great competition go Hawks like it's just <laughs> always like oh, oh it's, great, it's great to be playing in such a fantastic game go Hawks go and Team Irvin go Team Irvin <laughs> it's kind of crap and, like, and then there's the opposite end of like no, I'm sad. I don't want to talk to you. Fuck off. Like there is a medium to be found here, and absolutely, yeah. And like, I, like I'm not saying I'm not saying that you know it's great. I don't love the way that they have to go out immediately afterwards. But it's also a thing of they're paid millions of dollars. They know this is going to happen, and if they're going to mouth off in the media beforehand, except the fact you're going to have to respond to that. It's a two way system. Like, yeah. and like they're I, yo- they're young, but there are plenty of support systems in there in place to give them the opportunity to like learn what they need to do and just get it done. Like, you think the whole culture is, is wrong? I, so the, the problem for me is that they it's mandatory. They don't have the option to not do it. So there is no way that if they if you're not good at it or it's going to take some time for you to develop your your social media, your your media media handling skills, you're never not given that space. I'm sorry, Sean, you have to. most jobs involve things that you're not particularly good at and you have to do them. That's yeah, but not, they're not so public. They're not <laughs> so public. There's not hundred million like, people yeah. watching you. And so <laughs> look, look at a guy like Richard Sherman, right, who's extremely smart and extremely eloquent and he was a little bit too smart and eloquent and the media didn't like it and ended up going after him for it. Like, uh, it's a different thing. But, it, no, but, but again, in that scenario, he was actively action. going out and going like, I'm going to destroy these people. He was mouthing off of people. Yeah, and that was then the taken out of context but, later well, on. My point is how this comes into the whole culture of, of what well, Sean was talking about. It's different for quarterbacks though, you know? Like, you know, Deion Sanders existed. Like, yeah. and that, and like that, there's just a difference between like the skill players and the quarterback. Like, the quarterback has a lot of baggage coming with it, especially historically and obviously the nature of race and stuff like that. It's just, yeah. It, there, like, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and there's definitely a very strong racial element. I think, like, you can't deny that in, in modern America, that's an issue. But yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's tough, and like, I don't, I don't think we, I think we should, like, we can all empathize with them or sympathize with them. But 
there's still the case that if you were a supporter of the Carolina Panthers, you don't want to see this shit, and you don't. You, like, yeah. And if you're, especially if you're the coaches, you don't want to see this shit. I think we've managed to reach a, a level of double protection now because we've talked discussing the media's discussion of the media in relation <laughs> yeah. to players. Like, yeah, <laughs> we are the biggest wankers of all. Like. Do podcasts treat mainstream <laughs> journalists unfairly? Inception as fuck, bro. Get, uh, get, get, get fuck. Bill Simmons on and see what he thinks. Yeah. But no, so overall, it was. An excellent defensive game, but not the world's greatest game by a distance. Peyton yeah. gets his rings. Peyton Cam. gets his rings. Cam. Gets his season of hell, off season of hell. Yeah, fun times. It's not dedicated, bro. It's not dedicated. <laughs> so I suppose you boys are going to be headed back to court today, aren't you? Yep. Yes. Fun times. Uh, Sean here is soon to be Dr. Sean. Uh, he's, Don't jinx it. <laughs> soon to be Dr. Sean. <laughs> <laughs> They actually, you know, remove your surname and make yeah. like your first name doctor now. It's like, yeah. it's He's like the long butler, noble, noble line. We need, we need, we we need to get married. Desmond, right? Yeah, Ormond. Ormond, sorry, Ormond. Oh. Sorry, Ormond. We need to get you to, like, marry someone who's also got, a, like, a job as their surname. So you could be like, <laughs> like, Dr. Butler Baker. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. You could be like the start point for a new Jean Le Car novel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Sean's heading down. He's gonna he's gonna get his prep on because he's gonna get vivid soon for his doctorate. So that'll be fun. And then we'll just call him Doctor Sean from that point <laughs> over. Let's give him like some kind of radio show where he helps people through their emotional issues or something. Oh, but only if they're related to international law. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Hello, this is Basher from Syria. <laughs> <laughs> I've fallen in love with this woman, but I'm currently detaining her illegally. <laughs> yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll we'll keep you updated on the next one. Is it'll probably be two weeks to three weeks from now, but uh, it'll be fun. Uh, any other correct yourselves, lads? Any plans for the next week or two? Now football's gone, like our lives are empty. Let's oh, go back to watching European football. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Bring out, bring back NFL Europe. Yeah, we might, uh, might, we might go watch a few of the uh, few of the Irish league games because they'll be kicking off in May, I think. Uh, good fun. Because there's now like twelve teams around Dublin, so you can see some. They're gonna be fine. Uh, there's the there's there's the Cork Admirals down in Cork, so you can go down and see them. So if they're meant yeah. to be quite good, actually. Um, they've yeah, if I remember correctly, from the covers they've got good quarterback, good receiver, and a good running back. So exciting. But yeah, that's great. So I suppose that's bye from me, bye from Harry. Goodbye. Bye from Fitz. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye-bye. See you later on. Probably see you next year.